0: So the Circle of Blessing is designed to be a tool to show your kids and, and just to recognize the whole picture of what Ephesians 6, 1-3 diagrams out as. That honor and obey, and what will happen is it will go well and live long. And if you get out of here, out of the Circle of Blessing, now it's a matter of a rescue mission where we want to use whatever means we can because we love our children and we desire for their obedience, and therefore we're going to rescue them. It's, uh, through that, we also developed a definition of biblical obedience, which obedience is submission to God's authority that causes a child to do what he has been told without challenge, excuse, or delay. Those were the three areas we looked at. That that's, that's what obedience is. And all children know that there is a time to obey. They just have to figure out where that line is. And sometimes we as parents put that line in the wrong position. We don't set it up early that I've said go clean your room. That means go clean your room. And they delay, delay, delay until mom's flaming red with smoke coming out her ears and she's got their horns on and, oh, there's the pounce position. I know now is the time to go clean my room because that's the signal. As opposed to the very first signal, mom said it, I want to obey her. We didn't rescue early enough. We then actually probably sin in our anger there and also sin by not um, bringing our children to first-time obedience. Part of this is, is teaching the importance of honoring God. The purpose of their obedience is to honor you and to honor God. Uh, and there's an authority involved here. Children under authority will do well in the world because they are in God's circle of blessing. So this is authority. This is God's authority that tells us that, but this also shows up many other places. And parents, we sadly give our authority away because we don't call uh, them to obedience uh, at an early age. And that's when <clears throat> decisions should not be a matter of a child's choice. When they're young, they don't get to make all those decisions. And slowly, as they show their responsibility, you do open up and let them make more and more decisions Till eventually, uh, then they're uh, able to make good decisions and freedom on their own. So our rescue mission is there. Um, when a child dishonors his parents, he've moved outside the circle of blessing. The purpose of this rescue mission is not to, to punish your child. <clears throat> it's not to um, you know, get back at them. No, it is now a purpose of discipline and correction because we know what's going to happen here. We talked about the relational goal of parenting. You might re- recall that. That was the four phases. We talked about the disciplinarian um, and then the trainer, uh, then the coach and the friend, the different stages. And, and you can see how the authority will be different in each one of those phases. We talked about family identity in uh, independent versus interdependent families. We talked about peer pressure being only as strong as your family identity is weak. The outside forces of the world are going to only have a certain effect on your child if you have a strong enough base that you're you're drawing from. I wanted to now take some time to kind of look at different segments. You know, we talked about different age brackets. So I want to look at the age bracket zero to five then 6 to 12, and then the teen years. I want to give some a uh, little more specifics and look at them kind of independently, both in terms of goals and objectives, and then also the uh, some of the methods that are used that, that we're, we're talking about here. I thought that would be a good way to kind of break this up. I think he does this in the book a little bit. Probably the teen section we're going to get to next week. And I'm looking, teens, you guys got a teen. You don't have one yet. So we'd, we'll push that to next week. I think it would be helpful. And those of you with a, you know, young children. You need to think about this. Um, Andrew, I think of you guys with no kids yet. Okay, teens, how are we going to deal with it? You know, we knew how we were as teens, and we're thinking, ah, how am I going to handle this kid? Um, and you see other children that turn into teens that are very rebellious, and, and how do we walk through that? So we're going to look at that probably next week. First, zero to five, we've got some goals and objectives. This is a age that's is it's when the child's developing. It's the developmental stage uh, of your children. They're, they're picking up language skills. They're learning how to talk, how to respond. And uh, when they, before they can talk, what are they doing? sign language? I don't know if any of you have seen kids or if you've taught your own kids sign language, the please and the thank yous and the mores and, and, and all those other little things that they can learn. Even though they can't verbalize, they can use their hands to explain what, they're, what they want rather than just grunts, rather than just responses. These are things that are being learned during that time. I mentioned also it's a social reality integration. How do I fit into life? Can I just walk up to my teacher and just kick her in the legs? Can I go and scream at the top of my lungs? What is acceptable for me in society? Why do we be quiet when we sit in church? And, and those are things that the child is learning step by step. We're just putting little shelves, little items in the shelves of their warehouse, saying, No, this is church. We need to be quiet. Use your inside voice when we're inside. Your outside, run, scream, play, have a great time. So they're learning how those things fit together there. Um, by age five, they're going to be making friends. You know, they got their little buddies that they hang with, and that's kind of cool, that zero to five. So they're they're starting to pick up some of those skills that we just take for granted, but that is something you have to learn. There's physical skills, you know, all the motor skills for their hand, and, you know, they're in their high chair, and they're just flicking their food out. Well, is that acceptable or not? At what age do you allow them just to take their food and, and throw it on the floor? No, that's you know enough that that needs to stay on here. And so there's some discipline that's going to be required to bring them into this because that's the start of some of the process where we're disciplining them, Say no, you don't throw your food on the floor, your Cheerios, they stay on. And, you know, they're one year old or whatever sitting in their high chair. No, they're they're not going to have certain skills, but they're going to pick these things up. And we as parents have to step in to create some of those things. Uh, There is some spiritual development and growth. They're hearing the Word of God. They're seeing the patterns that you're setting in place already. You know, the, the times at the, at the uh, dinner table where you're eating dinner and you stop afterwards and you pray. Well, ahead of time, you pray before your meal. And then you take time just to talk about um, things from, that they learned in Sunday school. You're mentioning the word God. You're mentioning Jesus. They're starting to learn that by age five. Go and talk to some of the five-year-olds in our nursery. I mean, they know some of these concepts. So that's all starting to be formulated in that first five years that are really the most formative years. Often this will leave you guys just dazed and confused. Man, there's so much to learn. This a little tiny thing that was so innocent and I thought would you know, not really have any issues that i got to deal with. Now you're, you're dealing with more and more complex issues. And so that zero to five age is when you're trying to um, set a lot of this in place. The question becomes, what direction can I give to my child at each age? What direction can I give to this two-year-old that's going to help them learn something so they're going to be more mature so it keeps them in the circle of blessing here? You see the, the correlation now. It's not just I'm teaching them things, but I have a purpose now because this is the main verse that God gives us in Ephesians 6 that talks about our objectives here. What overarching objectives are going to create stability during this time as well. There's, there's stability that we need to put in our family. You know, so you, you've been in people's families' homes where it's just total chaos. You go in and the kids are jumping all over the couches and you know there's toys thrown all over there and mom and dad are just frazzled because they're trying to handle all this chaos. What stability are you adding to your family during that process to give them some skills? This training starts the day you bring them home from the hospital. Believe it or not, that early you're setting patterns in their life, and you know they're used to in your womb. They're used to uh, sleeping during the day as you're moving around, and at night they're waking up and you're feeling kicking you and and those kind of things. Well, you have to flip that schedule to a point where they're now used to sleeping at night, and that that takes some work. It takes some discipline to learn that process. Discipline on your part from day one. They're going to c- constantly contest who is in authority, so they're going to challenge your authority, and from day one. And, early on, arching their back while you're trying to change them. Those little things is actually a, a threat to your authority because they don't want to do what you want them to do. And we have to learn, okay, how much do I need to do to train them, even a little tiny infant that is doing something like that? Should I administer some type of a corrective action here to draw them back in? To t- and I know we had the little flick on the leg, you know, when they're, they're wiggling their feet too much, when they're being changed. Those little things will affect, oh, That caused pain when I did that, and they stopped doing it, and they they do something else. You start that process. They're going to cry. Um, The day that they're born, they cry, and that's going to keep happening. Um, You need to care for their needs, obviously, but you also need to watch and see how you can provide this corrective discipline. Um, So the objective... A biblical objective really here is Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, which we just looked at. The key here is that they need to learn that they are a person under authority. Whatever age they're at, especially in the younger ages, they need to know they're a person under authority. That's both your authority as their parents and God's authority eventually, even at age five, they can learn those kind of things. They can learn those concepts that daddy and mommy are responsible to God. We have the same circle of blessing that we have to honor and obey God that it'll still go well with us and we'll live long. Because we get outside of God's circle of blessing. I know when I do, God chastises me, and it hurts. It hurts a lot more when you're older, doesn't it? So we are under authority. They're under authority. And the idea is to eventually, in this continuum of the, your care is to shift that authority from your authority to God's. And for us, that was a goal by about the age 12. We wanted our kids to no longer be responsible to us, but say, you know what, you're responsible to God now. When you make these decisions, when you've chosen a direction that's outside God's will, you're, you're, you know, you're responsible to God. And that's where we start putting that responsibility rather than on us. So, you know, God is the one that's displeased. Important. Um, you uh, help form the way your child views the world during this whole time, this is early age. So they're starting to learn what they can and can't do. Colossians 2, 8, and 9 um, talks about that and how we don't want to be looking at what the world has to say. Um, very important. Um, they'll get their little skin knees from doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, and they're running too fast. And you take those times and you process that through them so they learn that that's all part of this. Um, stopping and praying with it when something happens. You know, um, you're driving down the street and there's an accident. They see mom and dad stopping and praying, or not stopping while you're driving, um, but just all those things. What is it in your life that you're imparting to them during these ages? They're watching you, and they're formulating in their mind uh, what they're going to be thinking. This challenges our um, culture's Way of thinking, doesn't it? Our our culture does not think this way. Our culture lives in a Disney world where everything is la la la. We're all Disney and and princesses and fairies and the guys are um, what are they Transformers? I think now whatever they're into. Um, sports. You know, they have this this mind that's out there that's just entertainment, and we have to get them to recognize this is real life. And so from that early age, yeah, that's fun for them to have their their make believe and their fun. I'm not saying you can't go to Disneyland. But there's a, a life that you have to show is real. It's not just this fairy tale that we're walking through, but it is actually God is up there. God is in authority, and you, you are responsible to him. It starts at an early age. The way you take action with your children is going to address the cultural influences around them. When they see their friends that are doing certain things, they see the, the friends, you know, that at age five, they're going to be mimicking what their friends do. They come home from the nursery, even at, at church, and go, where did you get that attitude? <clears throat> where did you learn that word? You know, it's like, uh, okay, now we have to go back and do some corrective action. They're trying different things. If they're watching TV, oh my goodness, the things that they see on TV, they see some child sassing their parents. And I've seen very, very direct correlations between those, where a child is gone over to somebody else's house, and they come back, and you, you hear them say something. I was like, have you been watching TV? Because that that is not a normal thing that they would do around our house, just the disrespect to parents. So you have to then train for that. You know what, this is why we don't do this. Age five, uh, zero to five, you're going to be already walking through some of this. Some of the other uh, methods we've discussed uh, of the whole process of uh, discipline and correction and. Uh, the biblical discipline, and I don't need to, to go back into all that, but that the, the whole spanking issue <clears throat> or biblical chastisement, that really fits in zero to six. By the, if you've done your work, you may be basically done parenting by age six, which is kind of really amazing. Not parenting, but you're done the discipline process because you've set the pattern, you've set the pace, and now they know whatever the um, rescue mission is you're using to bring them back in they quickly understand, oh, I'm out of God's will. I'm out of your will. I need to come back in. So it'll be a lot easier if you've done zero through five during that first disciplinarian stage. You've worked diligently at that. But if you haven't done that, if you haven't been a parent that's really stayed on top of that, don't worry. There is still some hope for you. Uh, let's look at age six to 12. There's some goals and objections there as well. This is really the childhood period. They're enjoying their childhood. Think of that what you learned and what you did age six to 12 and some of the fun things that you remember from that well the first major milestone is equipping them for school they go off to school that changes a lot if you're homeschooling you're going to be with other homeschoolers you're going to be around other kids that is going to change a tremendous amount in your child's action activities and their responsibilities Um, how they're interacting and uh, how they're then relating to the rest of the world around them they're going to learn a lot more from their peers so your work in in giving them um, tools is going to be far more important at this point. This is where the warehouse shelves really fit in that's six to twelve men. You are just packing them in there. You take your son with you to uh, the hardware store man you use that as a time to walk through some of those warehouse shelves to talk about hey son um, you see that uh, see the man over there who's uh, um, i don't know he 's yelling at at his wife or he's yelling at his son. What's wrong with that? And so you ask some questions. You build into those shelves. Well, not that you're trying to put the other person down, but you know, why is it that we don't yell at mom? What is it the thing? So you're, you're starting to build into their mind why we do things that we do and why we don't do other things. These are the little things that are on the warehouse shelves. You're, just think of those aisles. And when you take them into a, a Costco, you got all the kids you know, in the grocery carts and you're, you're going to Costco, sometimes set it up as, hey, think of these shelves here, kids, and I want to talk to you about these shelves when we get home tonight after dinner. We're going to talk about the Costco warehouse shelves. And you point the big shelves and how there's racks and stuff, and we're going to talk about this when we get home. You set it up, Daddy, Daddy, I want to know what it is we're going to talk about. Take the time to walk through this, and it's, it will stick in their minds. Oh, okay, now later on you can reference that back. Three weeks later, you're driving down the street and there's a uh, a policeman behind you with his flashing lights wants to get past you or a fire truck, and all of a sudden you pull over. Well, why did you do that, mommy? Oh, this is respect for authority. One of those shelves, and you remember, I talked to you about these shelves. One is is respect for authority, and authority. My, the laws say if there's a fire truck coming, we need to pull over to let him pass because he needs a clear path. Now you explain the why behind it. They're learning all these other reasons for it because we respect the poor person who's hurt that has to be saved, has to be a fire in their house. Don't you want the firemen to get to our house as fast as they can? And that's why the cars move over. Oh, okay. So you see the logic that just keeps building in their mind. There's a purpose. I can trust mom. I can trust dad. They're giving me some, some good rules here, good things that are important. You're going to have some new challenges as well during this age. There's, uh, there's a lot going on. They're going to be growing into a, a period of independence from their parents. They go off to school. They go off to a friend's house. They spend the night at somebody else's house during this time. Oh, wow. There's a whole different set of rules that they're going to be under, not under yours. You have to do some work ahead of time to set this up. They're going to have uh, new experiences that their parents aren't going to be there to help them with. You know, mom and dad aren't there, so they're at a friend's house, and the friend starts turning on a movie that's you is objectionable in your family, and you've talked about this thing, and you know what? That's not a movie that we want to see. We don't watch R-rated movies, or you know, the, whatever age there are. Oh, it's okay. My parents said it's okay. Your son, your daughter, has to be prepared to have a plan to know how to deal with that. Say, so you know what? That's okay. You can watch. I'm going to stay in the other room. I I prefer not to watch that. You teach them how to do that. And what an amazing example this can be. If they can hold strong, we've had kids that have done that. They've gone over to birthday parties or places like that, and there's stuff that's objectionable. And as young kids, they're saying, you know what, I don't want to participate this. And they go in the other room and, in fact, get the whole room to change where they're at so that they've raised the standard where they're at rather than be pulled down by it. This takes work on your parts. You have to set this up. This doesn't just happen by accident. Your kids learned enough. You need to talk through. These are those conversations that get them there. So they're going to be also developing their own ideas about life, you know, what this is all about. And their friends got a divorce, their parents got a divorce. What, what does that mean to me? Where do, what do you do with that or some relative? Um, we talked earlier about life-changing experiences, those, those things that change. You know, Parents die, grandparents die, all those things. So you're walking through to explain these things to them. It means a lot more to them. Just remember, your parental goal is to raise the kids to be able to leave your home. That's the eventual goal, so they will be independent on their own. There's some character issues that are going on here that that you need to to watch that are different than their earlier age. Maybe it's behavior that's wrong, but not necessarily defiant. You know, they're they're doing something. It's like I know that's wrong, but they're it's not a rule that I've ever set up before. I, I just can't pinpoint it. And you're you're trying to think, okay, how do I handle that? Um, uh, maybe you're. Uh, They're playing a a game with a few kids. Um, Oh, I was at one time playing a game with some kids um, from one of our parenting classes. And it was a a, a board game. And the object of the game was to lie about what you had and what you didn't have to to get the um, most points out of this thing. And I had a blast playing with these kids. The parents weren't there. And so we're playing this game. And I said, I am not going to lie at all, the whole game. And I told them, I am not going to lie. And so I didn't lie the entire game, and I kept winning and winning. And it was hilarious. You know, these kids are asking, do you have this card? I said, no. And they, you know, I didn't have any. And, you know, usually you have to lie to be able to to win. And and I amassed all this fortune from not lying. And I I used it as a great little object lesson. You don't have to lie. This game is teaching you how to lie. Not that the parents were bad parents. It was a funny game. But but I used it as a time, even though I was just babysitting some kids, to teach them. And it's a neat thing. I know as kids, we had a, a... Couple different games that we had. Uh, one was Masterpiece. you play that game? Where there's all these different um, paintings that are for sale, and you have an auction for them. And some of them you, you kind of get a value put on each one. And uh, some of them are forgeries, so they're worth zero. And there's bidding going on, starting at hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million dollars. And it might be worth zero. And so you're you know this, you're not saying anything about it. What is that teaching the kids? It's teaching them how to lie and cheat and steal. <laughs> So you you walk through games like that. You know, if you let them play games like that, you, you, you explain, this is why we don't do this. And you see the value of, of your cheating and what it caused somebody who thought they were buying something, and you cheated them out of $250,000? they can even
1: imagine that money. Anymore. Yeah,
0: exactly. But it's, it's one of those things. So <clears throat> that's one thing you have to teach in there. Um, think of it as a... Uh, two kids or you're driving down your minivan and you've got kids in the back seat and one of them's just been given some lifesavers maybe from some friend or something like that and so they're eating their lifesavers and they're just savoring each one and just looking at their other siblings and just licking them and, and just making them drool over what they have i have this and you don't ha 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 you know think of, kids do that don't they you know look what i have isn't this delicious and you don't what is that doing that's a, a behavior that's defiant. It is not godly behavior. So you need to teach them. What are you doing? You're trying to cause your your brother or your sister to sin and to beat you up to get your candy. <laughs> Completely unacceptable. So you walk through that. When you see those things happen, you stop them. You say, Hey, wait a minute. I know that behavior isn't right. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about why. Not just stop doing that. Or, you know, give me that, Now you can't have it. No, you, you teach through that. This is what's going on in the 6 through 12 age. They're learning how they can do what they can do and what they can get away with and what it means to other people. And how can I get that little bit ahead of you? And that eventually turns into their driving and, you know, how they can get one more car ahead by, you know, cutting people off type of thing, I guess. Training and character quality development is what's needed during this period of time. That's, that's an important part of it. Um, through this, there's, uh, I want to give you a little... Sidebar here of uh, what I call the four levels of initiative. There's four different levels you can train your kids to obedience. The first one is called forced obedience. Forced obedience. This is you go and tell them something to do, they're not doing it. And you say, I'm going to make you do this. I'm forcing you to do it. Or you have to discipline them to get them to do it. You are forcing them. You tell them to clean their room. They didn't clean their room. You're disciplining them to it. You force them to get it done. Okay, That's a forced initiative. That's one way to get things done. They eventually obeyed, but you had to force them to do it. The second one is a suppressed initiative. Suppressed initiative. Suppressed would mean you tell them something to do. Go clean your room. Um, I need you to put the dishes away. I need you to take the trash out. Any instructions you've given to your, your child... And now they've gone, and they haven't done it, and they're off playing with their friends or something, and you do it for them. Okay, you have suppressed what you told them to do. You gave them instruction, and you're doing it for them. They didn't get it done, so you've suppressed their ability to get, their done, get it done to actually obey. You've gone and stepped in that place and not allowed them to do it by doing it for them. You've suppressed their initiative. The third level would be prompted, a prompted initiative. Um, Amanda, I need you to go uh, empty the dishwasher. Oh, great, Mom. I'll go do that. They go and they put the dishwasher away. Wow, that is awesome, isn't it? Isn't that neat? When you ask your kids to do something, they do it. That is a great attitude. And they have a good attitude about the whole thing. That's, that's terrific. To get an actual prompted initiative, you ask them to do something, and they do it. I challenge you not to stop there. I challenge you to try and raise kids to go the next step beyond that, which is called a self-generated initiative self-generated initiative. This is the kind of Christians we want to raise. These are the kind of families that we want to have that are going to turn heads for other people. They're going to say, what is it about your kids that's different? Oh, I love God. I love Christ. I want to do things that please others. I know Philippians 2, 3, and 4 that I want to esteem others more important than myself. I want to make their job easier. These are the kids that are walking uh, along the, up into a grocery store and they see a piece of trash and they pick it up not being told, and they put in the trash can. These are the ones that you're gone, uh, off doing whatever it is, maybe you're out with some friends that night, and they go and put the dishes away for you. You don't even have to tell them. You get home, the house is clean, the dishes are done. The house is vacuumed. They just, out of the goodness of their heart, did those kind of things. You raise kids like this, this is where, man, they're going to see that other people also are going to, it's going to go well with them. They're going to live long. They're honoring and obeying God now rather than you because they know Philippians 2, 3, and 4, that they want to esteem others more important than themselves. They care about what other people are doing and how their actions are going to affect others. Man, that's, that's really where I want to challenge you guys, to try to get your kids to that level. What does it take? It starts way back at that early ages to work on all this communication, all these warehouses, all these shelves, so they know. My daughter, I'll, I'll brag on her last night at the wedding. I don't know. You guys, some of you might have been at the wedding for Brighton. She was asked to do cake or something like that to, to help set up the desserts. And uh, so she did that, and, and afterwards, nobody was there. Nobody stayed back. Not many people stayed back. I know you guys were there for I don't know how long, but the place was a mess. They had to clean it. They stayed till 1230 last night just cleaning. She wasn't told she had to do that. There was no job. That's what allows your kids to have that initiative. I think of Russell and Kelsey and all the work they do. They just automatically just, they see something, they clean it. These are the things that we want to raise our kids at. Man. I want a church full of people like that. Kids that are raised and they just want to serve. They want to serve, and they see the, the better good. And it's out of the right heart. It's not, oh, I'm going to do this because I get kudos. No, they don't get any, any kudos for doing this. This is just a matter of them knowing this is the right thing to do, and, and they exhaust themselves for others. That's really good for them. It's good for the church. It's good for the world to see that. So that's where I want to challenge you is that self-generated initiative. And these are things that you can talk over with your kids. You talk about these different levels. I mean, this is great communication. Take these notes with your kids as they're teens and say, kids, this is where our family is at. You know, Often I have to force you to do your work. Now that's great that you eventually do it, but that's not where God calls us to. And you can use the circle of blessing. I don't want to do your work for you. I don't want to suppress it. And you know what? I think it's great when I, I prompt and I do it, but explain to them what would happen if it was self-generated, what that would mean and how that could affect other lives. So just want to challenge you there. That's character issues developed during this time. And we know that there's a real problem with rules at this age bracket too, isn't there? We can't just give them rules because you can't make enough rules to cover everything to get them to be obedient. Up, oh, no, Dad, you didn't say on Tuesdays between 3 and 5 that I'm not supposed to do this. Well, you know, whatever your rules are for timing, for doing things. You, you can't just parse rules. It's, it has to come from their heart. The rules can't produce, uh, they can help produce a self-righteous spirit also in your children. And that's what we don't want. Kids to say, "I've got it all down. You know, I, I have the look. I do everything that Christians are supposed to do. I got the Awana verses memorized." That's not what we want to raise. We want to raise kids that have a heart to serve and a heart to love others. Children who have a standard of rules that are doable in their own strength are children who have no need for Christ. And ultimately, that's what we're after. To say, and that goes back to our other chart. Remember, where we have a ungodly behavior out of the. Overflow of that heart. We get some type of, uh, I don't know, um, hatred. Versus over here, we have uh, godly behavior. And here we have love for others. So we look at what this is. We drive it back to ungodly. We have to run that through the cross, through repentance. And it's only through Christ. That we can change that. I mean, just that's just keep remembering that, remembering that, because that's, that's going to be what it takes to change them. We can't do it on our own. We can't set up enough rules to do it. It doesn't work that way. want to do it. So how would you deal with um, character development of a child, two children fighting over a toy? You know, they, they've, they've got an issue going on in between them. Well, you're going to avoid the who had it first, Well, who had it first? Was there ever a law created that says that this child had it first and therefore you're the one that gets to keep it? No, both kids often in that case need to have their hearts checked. Uh, You don't just ignore two kids fighting, do you? That's not going to work. Just let them duke it out. Eventually enough blood spill, they're going to stop. No, that's not going to (laughs) work. They're not going to grow out of it. Uh, You can threaten with spankings. You kids stop doing that or um, you're both going to get spankings. That's not going to work. Well, Make emotional threats. I'm going to take all your toys and we're going to ship them off to Africa because you guys just don't love each other and you're not taking care of each other. You can't do that. That doesn't make sense. A threat of material loss as a part of that. Or you kids are you know, driving me crazy and my emotions, um, I can't rest at all because I'm always thinking about you guys and, and what you're doing. We can't do any of that. Those approaches do not produce a lasting fruit because the heart is not addressed. And we, we have to think of these things. And where is it that the heart is being affected here? We looked at Luke six forty through through 45. This is one of our first lessons. For as a good tree does not bear bad fr- fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. I mean, that's, we have to just keep thinking that. That's that's what happens when there is evil when there's something that's um, a sin in their life it's driven by a heart issue. Proverbs 4:23 keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life and that's that's what we see in our kids We want to look at a few things about the when why and what of behavior here so when you're analyzing what's going on with your kids at this age in six through 12 look at the circumstances behind the behavior that took place so what what were the issues here, yeah, you need to get some factual data. If there are two kids who are fighting, you, you need to ask some questions to understand that. Uh, and that will include the what of what things were actually said and actually done. You know, this is what happened, and this kid went and did that. You, you can act as an adjudicator there. Uh, but the why part is, is probably the more important part. This is, always has to do with the internal heart issues. So you ask why questions. And the, the Scripture tells us to do that. James four one from whence come quarrels and fighting among you. Come they not uh, from hence from your lust that war in your members. You lust and desire to have you don't have it and you fight and war and it just gets worse and worse and worse because of our own hearts that want things. Or 2 Peter 1, through 3-4, the corruption that's caused by evil desires. I mean, This is what happens and you have to look at these, these type of things. What is it, why is it behind this that they're doing, the why behind their behavior. So if you have a, a child that's, that's complaining, let's just look at that. There's just a child that's complaining about things all the time. It's 6 through 12, that's going to happen. Mommy, why do I have to do this? Or, Mommy, my friend did this. Those, those type of things. The temptation for parents is to just want the behavior of complaining to stop. So you hear this complaining about things, and that's what we want as, typically as parents is to say, I, I just want to hear them stop complaining. That's, that's the most important thing to me because it's, it's gritting on my ears. I'm tired of it. It could be even a younger child is doing this. But the biblical response is to take the time to talk with your child about their complaining, their grumbling, and and talk about it. Say, is this a heart of contentment? Is this the right thing? You want to find the underlying issues behind their complaints there. And typically what you're going to find is they want to be in control. That's what their mind is saying. I want to be in control. I want to be God is essentially what they're saying. I want to have the circumstances turn out for me. Why is it so hot, Mommy? Well, they want to be hot. They want to be cooler. They want to act as God because God didn't give the right temperature for them that day. And that's, we can't do that. God gave them that. And this is teaching the sovereignty of God, ultimately, where you know, God made a hot day on purpose, and he made 10 of them in a row. And in Bakersfield, it's 40 of them in a row where it's over 100 degrees. But why did he do that? He did that for a purpose not to make you miserable, not to make you hot and sweaty. He did it with a purpose of training and teaching us to be able to... You don't know, son, maybe you're going to end up in Africa in the sub-Sahara where it's 95 degree, um, 95% degree, 95 humidity and really hot, and, and this is preparing you for that. We don't know what God has for you. So you can take whatever circumstances and use it as a sovereignty of God for something for their future, project something in the future that God may be wanting to teach them. My son and I talked about who had the issue with... the. Uh, the report that he did in high school—a really good report for a science project or history day project—and that it was rejected, didn't get even able to be put in um, for the contest or whatever the the um, um, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, competition there was. I sat down with him. I said, "Son." this is a great thing. You're going to learn something that's going to help you in the future so you can handle down the line. God is probably going to give you something. You're going to look back at this, and this was a helpful thing to get you to where you need to be for what God is doing in your life. So that's where we do it. And really, the whole issue is if you don't address the hard issues, the changes in your child's behavior are only going to be superficial. You're just going to be dealing with it down here. So yeah, you might get them to stop saying something hateful to their sister or to their brother, but you're not getting them to really love their brother because you haven't looked at the heart. 6 through 12, this is really important. Therefore, train yourselves to look for the heart issues. And it's hard to get used to that because you just want to deal with that complaining or whatever is on your, uh, that's the most offensive parts of it. Um, I wanted also to look at uh, some elements of biblical character development here. And, And part of it is appealing to the conscience. We need to appeal to their conscience during this age. It makes sense because their conscience is being developed. They understand these things. Um, Luke 10, um, actually there's a couple things in Luke 10 there, but one of them is the lawyer asking, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He appealed to the man's conscience. The man said, you know, he thought he had had it all together, but he went back and appealed to his conscience. And, And verse 25 is the story of the Good Samaritan. And so Christ walks through this whole story of a Good Samaritan. The point is of that whole thing, anyone is your neighbor Christ then goes and he appeals to their conscience. The man's conscience was pricked is what it said at the end. We talked about this briefly. Um Romans 2, 4 through 15, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do the things in the law, these, though not having the law, are law to themselves, who show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing. We went through that, didn't we? The four different levels of the conscience, what the conscience is doing, the four functions of the moral search mechanism. Remember, all the shelves are there, we talked about, and then there were four things this little robot did. It was looking to prompt them either to do right, or to accuse them if they're going to do wrong, go and affirm them if they did right, and then go and, um, I'm sorry, accuse them if they did wrong. That's what the conscience does. It's designed to do that. The conscience is really your ally in this whole process of parenting because you're going to appeal to your kid's conscience. You know What is it that's, that's right here? And they'll know often. That's where you don't give them a keepable standard. Well, here's the rules, and and dad, I obeyed every single rule, but they still got this terrible look on their face of anger towards their sister, their brother. I, I followed the rules. I gave my sister this, or I did what I was supposed to do, and they just got. You can just see that they're they're not uh, dealing with their heart issue. Avoid correction being a contest between you and your child. There's another problem. Sometimes it's he said, she said, and, and the next thing you know, it's an argument. At this age, you're going to get that. If you haven't done your job of, of training this process up to this point, you may need to say, stop, time out. Okay, we need to go back a few steps. We need to go back and look at the conscious. We need to go back and look at this. We need to look at these charts and draw them out. When you see your child is working um, in a totally different direction, they're just disobeying, just rarely. Just stop. Call a time out and, and walk through Now son, remember when we talked about this and you just get a piece of paper or, or draw it in the dirt if you're you know, at the beach or something like that with a stick. I mean, find something to keep bringing them back. Some of these indelible things that will stay in their minds, that's important. There's a tight correlation between addressing the heart issues and a child seeing their need for Christ because it is their heart. We have to look at their heart, and then they have to know that, yeah, I've got a heart. When you get them to recognize, isn't that what we do when we're really trying to share somebody with the, the gospel? We're trying to get them to see you're a sinner, and you're in need of a Savior. It's exactly what we're doing with our kids, is we're saying, you have a heart that is evil, and there's only one way to fix an evil heart. Now you see the, the proper correlation. They need to see themselves as sinners. Um, next, uh, you want to focus on character development, Christian characters living consistently with who God is and who I am. So they, they want to understand both of those. That's what we're trying to train into them. God made me, and he placed me here. He gave me a very specific purpose in life. They need to know that, who they are in relationship to God. Uh, even a simple example of a t- dependability. you know you're, They're saying they're going to do something, and they don't do it. Well, that's where we can go back to who God is and who they are, and we're not God, and we can't be dependable. So therefore, we have this for some reason, we don't obey, we didn't go and do the things that we said we would, we we're not dependable, we know what God is. We can show that God is ultimately the one who can do all of these things. It's important. This also can tie into moral purity. of As they grow up, properly um, understanding their body, how they're going to properly use it, how they're going to love, how they're going to be um, eventually married. Uh, Proverbs 5 and and Proverbs 7 talk a a lot about this. Um, God made me, and he made me to live in this world with a purpose. I need to keep myself pure because of what God has done. You see the correlation now. It's logical why they're worried about moral purity. It's not just because dad said it. It's not just because the world is this way and and I want to be this way. No, it's because there's a purpose. God made me to be this way. You've tied it into a purpose that their conscience can now understand, not just a, oh, yeah, here's this other part of my life, or I have to be morally pure. And that talks about God's warnings and his blessings for those who are pure, a young man who keeps his way pure, Proverbs 5. Um, Use the example of Christ and the church and the purity that he had there, and the desire, even through sex, through marriage, and how important that is to keep that pure because of what God has done for us. I mean, it's great to tie these together in their their conscience as they're getting to be this age. And and 12 years old is not too young at that level. God uh, really, through this whole thing, is, is who God is and who I am. And that gives, Scripture gives us a lot of that. Where the culture gives exactly the opposite, Scripture gives us what we need here. You need to also learn how to interpret behavior in character terms. Just think of, okay, what is the character issues that are going on here? If there is an interpretation of behavior in this manner of looking at character, there's going to be an inability to work from behavior back to the appropriate character issues. So if we're not thinking character issues in our mind, what is it that I'm missing here? What is it that they're doing that doesn't match with God's Word? Then you don't have a, a right way to work back there to see really what's in their hearts, that their hearts are not considering something because we have to train their hearts. That's the hard part about it. So the fighting for the toy isn't an issue of, you know, I want, you want. It's, it's an issue of their hearts, uh, not about the toy itself and who had it. It's, it's what are their hearts? And often you'll find that a fight involves both of them. I watched some of my grandkids this weekend, and uh, I saw this right within there, and I saw this look where a child was obeying, but, man, you could see in their faces that they did not want to obey in their heart. There was like, no, I'm in a, I, I don't want my sister to have this. I don't want my brother to have this. And it's just naturally a part of them. We have to stop and say, no, that's unacceptable. I see your face. It's explaining what your heart's doing. Um, as parents, you always want to have as long of a term vision as possible It's going to impact not only your child, but actually your grandkids. Because think of it, when your kids grow up, they're going to have kids, and you want to see them training them in godly character so that they then can be a joy to you. Um, grandparents will put up with a lot. I've watched it. But wouldn't it be neat to have be grandparents or have your, grand, your kids dealing with your parents in ways that they are just a joy? Oh, I can't wait for them to come over because they're obedient. I can see that they you know, obey, and I ask them to do something, they have the right attitude. Man, that is a joy. And our kids weren't perfect at that, but I can see that it turned the heads of our grand, of her parents in particular, who we spent a lot of time with, where there were grandkids that didn't. And they dreaded those grandkids coming over because the house was a disaster. The rules weren't kept. Everything was a mess, as opposed to kids that came and they cleaned up the kitchen for them. They just did stuff. It's like, this is a joy to have these grandkids. That's what we want, and that opens up an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, one last thing I wanted to share this week. I don't think I've shared the appeal process, have I? With you guys, okay. So you ask your kids to do something. Part of this whole this whole discipline process for age six to um, twelve is a good time to have this in place as well. Your kids, you ask them to do something, and they don't want to do it. Not because it's not what they want to do, but because they have a conflicting instruction. They have some other set of rules that they think it's going to disobey as they're learning how rules all fit and all those shelves and who they need to honor and all the res- levels of, of respect. They'll see a conflict with some of them. I'll say to my son, son, when you get home from school today, I want you to first thing when you get home, take the trash cans in. Okay, I, that's his, Okay, dad, got it. So he remembers that. He gets home in the car with mom driving home, and mom, when he gets in there, son, when you get home, first thing I need you to do, I need you to go feed the dog, and I need you to go back and clean up the backyard real quick because we have friends coming over. He now has two conflicts, what he's going to do right at that time. So what's, what's he going to do? Obey mom, who's right there, or, and disobey dad, or vice versa? No mom, but that's the typical thing, is that there would be some, some disrespect in that process. So we have, what we used was the appeal process, and it was basically mom, may I appeal to you, or dad, may I appeal to you. Those key words were indicators we gave them to use these words, and this de- 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 de light going off, okay, I need to pay attention here. It's now mom's responsibility or dad's responsibility to say, yes, you may appeal to me, or no, you may not. So if mom says, no, you can not appeal to me, I need you to do that right now. Son goes and cleans the backyard. Dad gets home. Hey, son, the trash cans aren't cleaned up. Why not? Dad, I tried to appeal to mom, but she didn't want to hear me. Oh, onus is back on mom. He's relieved. Look at it. Relieve that pressure. But even better, mom says, yes, you may appeal to me. Appeal to me. Dad said, take the trash cans in first thing when I got back today. Okay, do that first and then do this. Got them both taken care of. Mom was satisfied. There wasn't any disagreement there. Now, uh, the appeal process requires that you have some, some parameters around it. It can't be just because they don't want to do something. So I don't want to do it. Take the trash. Son, I need you to take the trash out. Mom, can I appeal to you? The trash stinks. I don't want to do it. Son, take the trash out. I want you to do that. You know, there, it can't be just they don't want it. They have to add new information. There has to be some new information as part of this, something that mom didn't know ahead of time. And you parents are the ones, if they appeal to you, if you use this, you then are taking the responsibility of what they're asking you. And that's why couch time is real important because you talk about things together. Hey, her um, son so-and-so um, appealed to me today about this, and we need to discuss this thing because, no, I don't need him doing these kind of things. Or whatever it is, now now you have a, a, an opportunity for conversation between each other to make sure you're right on the, on the same page. Nothing worse than mom having one set of rules, dad having the other because who are they going to go to? The softy. They're always going to go to the one that's softest. You know, those cute little daughters with their blonde curls. They're going to come up to dad, and his heart just melts. And of course, you don't have to do that, my princess. Because mom just asked her to go, and you have to appeal to the individual who gave the instructions if they're available. So mom's giving instruction to go clean up the backyard. He's appealing to mom. Mom, I need to appeal to you. Can I do this first? And it's not immediately, can I appeal to you? Can I do? It's first ask for the permission to appeal. What it does is it puts you in authority, and at age six through 12, it's real important to still remain in that level, and then they can trust you. How much better when they trust you in something like this, and then they see mom and dad working together, they see their answered questions in a way that makes sense, that, oh, there was order, there was planning, and what was the ultimate purpose? You teach them the why. The why was we have some relatives coming over, we have some friends coming over, we want to present a house that's nice and clean for them, so it really made sense for the both projects to be done because you didn't want the ugly trash can standing out in front of the house as the people drive up. And those are the little things. You then teach there was a, a purpose behind the choice that mom was given through an appeal, or dad was through appeal. that makes sense? So I wanted to throw that one in there. Um, excellent point. And what does it talk about right after that in Ephesians? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. You had an instruction, and all of a sudden, I, I can't do it. And there wasn't now dad gets home, and he gets mad at you. You're going to avoid a lot of that by having the same, same thing. Any other comments you have on any of that stuff?
1: No? Just in general, some of the things that we talked about, just like back to the early goals and stuff, I was just thinking about how uh, Grant was talking about helping your form the way your child views the world and stuff. Um, a lot of that just starts just in how we are so quick to just give in to the child, just to quiet them. Like he's talking about whining or whatever, just complaining. We oftentimes want to just give a quick fix. Setting as far as those goals, you know, we can be the demand parent, where everything's okay. I'll give you what you want. Just we'll at the checkout stand, just quiet them down and demand whatever they demand. Or we can be the parent controlled person, where we're in control. So, I mean, those are the key, key words we used to look back on: is it mm-hmm. demand attention or is it parent control?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Another one that I didn't mention was tattling. That's going to be something. When you have a couple kids involved in your house, you are going to get tattling, and one kid, bah, 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 bah. well, we made a rule with our kids. Tattling, if it's a health and safety issue, that something's going on, we need to know about it. But if it isn't, why are you doing this? You want to get your brother or sister in pain? You want to cause them to get disciplined? That's an evil mind you have. You need to get the spanking instead. And we stopped tattling pretty quick doing that because what is it saying? Yeah, this other child might be doing something wrong, but you've got an evil heart. You're saying, I am right here. I want my brother or my sister to feel some pain. I, that's, yes, they've got in trouble. You know, as soon as they go off in the room to get a spanking, or Kyle's just doing a fist bump, excited <laughs> that, that their sister's getting a whacking. No, that's evil, man. Deal with that. Tattling is just, boom, that's bad news. And deal with it in such a way of understanding it. Not up, oh, You tattle, you're getting a spanking. This is why it's so evil. Because you're saying you want to see somebody get pain. No, you want to help your brother. You want to help your sister. You tell them, Lisa, you're gonna be bummed. That's just Mom, you're not gonna like that. That's not doing what she said. You you need to obey. The kids, it's amazing. You with the oldest one, you train them well. The others will understand what their rules are, what the, the what they need to do, but you also have to watch their heart. That they're not doing things just because they don't want to get in trouble. You want to we cause them to do things because they want to do it out of the right heart so you got to watch when they're doing it that's why we said it has to be complete it has to be immediate and it has to be with the right attitude if their attitude is wrong in obedience you know they might be sitting down you tell them to sit down they're sitting down on the inside but on the outside but inside they're standing up they're mad at you still and you see it all over their face I'm sitting down but I'm not happy about this no that's that's completely unacceptable that does require a heart change and that's where you take them aside and say your heart is wrong here this is not what we want. I've asked you to do something. Your heart is saying, you don't want to obey me. What's wrong with this? And so you walk through it to understand the heart issue.
1: And if it is a health and safety issue, you want to be Yeah,
0: we, that. we want to know. So if right. If
1: your brother's about to fall off the top bunk and they're coming to get you, then that's different.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: One more thing I thought about, too, is we often would set up scenarios and really be proactive ahead mm-hmm. of time. Okay, we're getting ready to go to the grocery store. Let's remember. Everybody tell me some rules. So we would you know, go over the scenario, or we're going to so-and-so's house, you know, what are some things that we want to do and we don't want to do when we get there? You know, what, Do we ask permission, or do we just walk through the front door and run out the back door? You know, or do we open the fridge? Sometimes it was redundant, but you just go over that scenario over ahead of time so that when you're there, you're not all of a sudden having to pull all these reminders. It's more of, okay, we talked about this ahead of time. When you, when you go through the, you know, this experience of the grocery store or visiting grandma or whatever, Mm-hmm. But just being proactive rather than reactive mm-hmm. and reacting when you're there, you're proactive. You're setting up the scenarios, and especially non-conflict. You know, I w- I remember when my kids well, had three of them in the stroller, and we lived in North Hollywood at the time, and we'd walk to the local mall because it was close by, and we'd sit there and watch watch parents and watch families, and use it as a training time to say, see the little boy over there? He's running off from his mommy, here and he's running off and screaming. You know. That a good idea, and so you know you're setting up those scenarios even at a young age to to kind of prepare them and let them think and and just use those as teaching time.
0: So if you see some of our older kids running off screaming in different directions, (laughs) that's because they thought it was okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's close them. Erin, would you close us in prayer, please?